So um, as as we move in, I, I've got a I've got a question um, as we move into our, our our scripture today. I have a question for you, and and I really want you to think about it. Like really take a moment to think. Have you ever had a transcendent experience? And 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 by transcendent, I mean well actually I I googled it to see exactly what I did mean. Um, and so by transcendent, I mean. <laughs> Got two definitions, something beyond or above the range of normal human experience, surpassing the ordinary, something exceptional. Have you ever had a transcendent experience? Some of us have, yeah, I'm seeing some hands come up, yeah. Something that didn't fit those logical categories for things that typically happen to humans. Something happened and maybe it feels like it's just on like a whole other plane of existence. It's indescribable and words fail. Thankfully, um, my family won't be here till next service. If they were here, their eyes would start rolling in the back of their heads when I tell you this story. But um, it's, it's what I remember, actually, of one of mine. And that was May 6th, 2001. And actually, I didn't remember the date. I had to Google it, but I found it. Liz and I and one of our friends, we went to see uh, my favorite band, U2, at Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was their Elevation Tour. You might remember such hits as Beautiful Day, Walk On, I'm Stuck in a Moment, right? It was uh, We felt stuck in a moment earlier <laughs> today trying to get the slides up. It was a great tour, and they're still my favorite band today. Actually, I went and saw them when I first came here. And then when I was when I friended Matthew first on faith, and then it showed up. We were there together, and we didn't even know it. Um, but what, there we were in Pittsburgh, surrounded by 14,863 fans. I googled that one too, and it was amazing. Like I was on another plane, and at, at times it felt like the whole arena was. We were just on another plane together. Like we all knew we were experiencing something magical, something transcendent. And then it happened. Like Bono, he lost his voice. And I can't remember the song by this day, but it's something I know that we all knew because while the rock god stopped singing, 14,863 people kept the song going. And we kept singing. And for a moment, like, we're all one, one voice, one song. And we weren't even in Mellon Arena anymore. I don't know where we were on, some, like, mountaintop somewhere, right? We'd been transported somewhere new, different. This mountaintop experience that was way better than the nosebleed experience that I'd had up until that point. And, and afterwards, like, I tried to explain it to my friends, but I, I couldn't do it justice, right? They just look at you blankly for a moment and then politely change the subject. Um, I tried with my family, and I have a musical family, and, and even that, they just like roll their eyes. And I tried to explain it to Liz and, and my friend Tonto, who was, man, this is the day, isn't it? And, this is and Tonto, <laughs> who was there. That was a battery issue. That's all on me. And, and Tonto, who was there, well, they were there with me. And, and, they, and they just looked at me like I, I was crazy or something. Like, what, what on earth are you, are, are you talking about? So I stopped talking about it. I stopped reliving the moment. And I lost it. I mean, I know in my head that I was there. And I know in my head that I had this great experience when I was there. That it was transcendent. But I've kind of forgotten what that transcendent moment felt like. I mean, I forgot the date. 
I forgot how many people were there. I even forgot the song I was singing. I forgot the moment because I stopped sharing about the moment. And when I stopped talking about it, I stopped experiencing that moment again. Well, thankfully, that didn't happen um, with the disciples, with one of the most, I think, one of the most transcendent moments in Luke's gospel. And, and by transcendent, this time, I mean there's a third definition. You can Google it, of the word transcendent. And it says, speaking of God, something that exists apart from and not subject to the limitations of the material universe. Something that only God could do. By the way, the, the disciples, they almost didn't share this transcendent moment, maybe because they themselves didn't understand it, or maybe because they knew no one else would or could understand it, but this is what happened. It's in Luke chapter 9, it's verses 28 through 36. Now, we read, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory, and the two men who stood with him, just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while Peter was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they, the disciples, kept silent. And in those days, told no one of the things that they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. By your spirit, God, Enlighten our hearts, open our minds, fill our vision with your radiance, and give us life. May each of us in this room, O oh Lord, hear a transcendent word from you. Amen. Man, like, talk about a mountaintop experience. Like, that's the, the, the definition of a mountaintop experience. Talk about a transcendent moment. Like, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus together. Does anyone here remember the first time? Now, I'm looking at it. Like, look back really quick if you can. Don't hurt your neck. But you got, do y'all remember this moment? Who remembers that moment? Right? Right? The first time you realized that there was such a thing as a force ghost in the, in the multiverse. The first time you saw Anakin, Yoda, and Obi-Wan together. 
I remember Return of the Jedi, May 1983. I was with my friend Nathaniel at the State Theater in Logansport, Indiana. I remember every moment of that day. It was transcendent. All of it. But you know why I remember it? Because we talk about it still to this day. I told people about it. I tell my kids about it. They don't care, but I tell them anyway. I was there, and when my son watches Return of the Jedi, and it's the wrong Anakin, I tell him <laughs> what I saw and experienced that day. But as transcendent as Force ghosts are, they're not real. And they've got nothing on the law and the prophet standing on either side of Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Peter, James and, and John that day? Can you imagine what they saw or what they heard? What they felt? Like a culmination of sorts of all the things that they had experienced since Jesus like picked them up on the side of the Galilee, right? Like, hey, come on, let's go. They were there for our scripture reading last week, the Sermon on the Plain. They were among the first to hear Jesus preach the Beatitudes. They'd seen Jesus heal the centurion's son, raise a widow's child from the dead, forgave the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. They saw that. They'd seen the wind and waves obey him, a legion of demons flee from him, and a woman be healed just by touching the hem of his garment. And they'd heard John the Baptist asked, is Jesus, is he the one who is to come? They heard that Herod was wondering if Jesus was in fact Elijah, come back to earth. And they heard others confuse Jesus for John. And when Jesus asked Peter, well, who do you say that I am? The disciples heard Jesus, Peter declare that you, Jesus, are the Messiah. And that was actually after Jesus had performed one of his most famous miracles, the feeding of how many? 5,000. We know the story, right? We've heard the story. Some of us might have heard it 5,000 times by now. But more importantly, many of us have told that story. Because that's when you really come to know a story, right? When you tell me, do we have some librarians in the room? I thought we did. That's when you know a story, right? When you tell the story. And Jesus himself had told the disciples who he was. Jesus said, I am the Son of Man, and that I must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day rise again. And do you think the disciples had any idea what he was saying right then? No. They certainly didn't understand what he meant when he told them, if you're going to follow me, then you have to deny yourselves and take up your... Man, you know all the stories today, don't you? And then eight days after he said those things, here they are, the four of them, Peter, James, John, and Jesus, climbing a mountain. I can't imagine any of those disciples had any idea what was in store for them. But they get to the mountaintop, and, and Jesus, being Jesus, starts to pray. And in my mind, anyway, and when I tell the story, <clears throat> I always picture, like, James totally out of breath at the top of the mountain. Like, you know how when you read a book, there's, like, the character that you see the story through? I'm James, and I'm out of breath and overweight at the top of the mountain. Like, oh, my gosh, Jesus, if you're just going to pray, could we have done it down below? Why did we have to come here? 
for this. And then, you know, I wonder, like, maybe Peter remembers that amazing things tend to happen when Jesus prays, like God-sized things, things that exist apart and are not subject to the limitations of the material universe kind of transcendent things. Like when Jesus prayed at his baptism, and the heavens opened up, and the Spirit came down like a dove, and the voice of God said, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. Yeah. And also, you know, like maybe John, probably John, I mean, it's John, all right? Like he's thinking, man, stuff does happen on mountains. Like wild, indescribable, transcendent stuff. Like the prophet Elijah, when he was on a mountaintop, he heard God's voice, God's still small voice, tell him he was not alone, that God was not done with him. Or like Moses went up on a mountain and spoke to God, saw God face to face, received the Ten Commandments, the law of God. And when he went back down the mountain, Moses had to put a veil over his face. And why? Because he was glowing, like radiantly, like a hundred force ghosts types of glowing. The glory of God was reflected in Moses' face. And I wonder if John was thinking about that moment in particular when the four of them, they go up the mountain together because the next thing they know, Jesus is praying, and Jesus begins to glow. Like those force ghosts, only so much more so, like the glorious radiance of Moses' face, only so much more so because all of Jesus is shining with the glory of God. Even his clothes are different. They're pure, white. Everything is different. Jesus is transformed before their eyes, transfigured. Christ, the Messiah, the Son of Man, is revealed before their very eyes, very human eyes, which weren't made for transcendent stuff like this. And before they can even grasp what they're seeing, I mean, this is decidedly ungraspable, so like they probably weren't going to grasp it. But things go even more sideways because then the next thing Peter, James, and John know is that Jesus is glowing and Moses and Elijah are standing there glowing right next to Jesus. I mean, maybe they were just thinking right before this of those two pillars of Judaism who both had mountaintop experiences, these two towering figures of the stories they had heard and told growing up, the stories they had shared with their own families. And here they were right in front of them, like Jesus, full of God's glory. I mean, when I think of the transfiguration, right, I go immediately to Jesus. Jesus is transfigured, right? But think about this. If you're a Jewish person in the first century A.D., like, I'm sure they're thinking, man, Jesus, he looks all right today, right? This is the day we remember Jesus. But for Peter, John, and James... Elijah had come back. Elijah, who had never died but ascended to heaven. Elijah, the greatest prophet of the Hebrew people, who was, they had been told, they had told others, he will come back. And here they are, and he has come back gloriously, transcendently. And there is Moses, Moses, who died on a mountain after leading his people out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. Moses, who had spoken to God, had seen God, had lived to tell about it. That Moses, the Moses of our most sacred stories, is here in front of us. 
indescribable, transcendent. And Moses and Elijah, they're talking to Jesus. And you know what they're talking about? In, in, our, in our translation today, it says Jesus' departure in Jerusalem. But that word in Greek, that word departure, the word is exodus. You ever heard that word before? Like, that's crazy. Moses is talking to Jesus about Jesus' exodus. It's no wonder, then, tired as he was, that Peter wanted to build three dwellings, three tabernacles, three booths, tents. Because as a Jew, he knew that every year, when it was time to remember Moses' exodus, when it was time to tell that story again, they would go to Jerusalem and build temporary structures, tabernacles, tents. Jews still do that today at the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. They do it to remember the story. And so Peter, seeing Moses, hearing the word Exodus, what does he do? We got to build some structures. We got to build some tabernacles, some tents. But now was not the time for human things, tangible things, because this is a transcendent experience, people. Beyond the physical world of man, and so a cloud descends on the mountain, just as it did during the Exodus when God appeared on the mountains. The cloud shielded the people from God's full glory, lest it consume them. And there on the mountain, Peter and James and John hear God's voice, even if they don't see anything, and they hear words that, if they'd been there for Jesus' baptism... They might sound strangely, transcendently familiar to that story, right? This is my son, my chosen. And then it's Kim reminded us, what's the next word? Listen to him. And maybe it also reminded them of God giving Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. Moses is my chosen one. Listen to him, people of Israel. Can you imagine if that were you? up there with Peter and James and John, up there with Jesus and Moses and Elijah, up there, man, up there with God. Can you imagine? Of course you can't, right? It's unimaginable, indescribable, transcendent. But I want to describe it. I'd want to share the glory, right? I'd want to share that story even more than I wanted to share what happened with me and Bono. I'd want to share what happened with me and God and Moses and Jesus and Elijah. Because if I stop telling that story, if I stop talking about that moment, I might just lose that moment. Yeah, I was on a mountain once. I can't quite remember who was there, um, but it felt really good. Doesn't have the same effect, does it? Like me and my transcendent experience with you too, I stopped telling the story. And so now all I'm left with is the knowledge that I once had this experience. It was a moment, but I lost the real thing. I lost that feeling because I wasn't talking about it. But I still remember those force ghosts. Force ghosts. I, mom I remember that moment vividly. I can still picture that day. I can still feel the feeling when the Ewoks were dancing and singing, Yup Nub, Chop Yup Nub. <laughs> and I can remember that song. I remember those lyrics. And I, I'm not too ashamed to admit, I know about every lyric to every U2 song there is by heart. But I can't remember what song it was that I sang at my favorite U2 moment in my life. 
when I was on the mountaintop with Larry and Bono, Adam and the Edge, and everyone was glowing. And why can't I remember? Because I didn't what? I didn't share. I didn't tell the story. But I can remember Ewok singing. Why? Because I kept telling the story. I kept telling that story. And so in our scripture today, did Jesus or did James and Peter and John, did they tell the story of their experience? Not at first, anyway. I mean, I don't imagine they had the words. I don't imagine they understood and they were tired. Maybe it was all a dream and the other nine guys down below, they're not going to believe us anyway, so they kept quiet. They didn't tell the story. But because we know the story, because we still tell the story on Transfiguration Sunday like Christians have been doing for thousands of years, we know they eventually did. Because no one else was up there. Someone had to have told their story. And then eventually their story became a part of the Christian story. And then eventually other Christians begin to tell this story. And eventually Luke heard it, heard it because Luke wasn't there, right? Luke came to the party real late. But he wrote the story down when he heard it so that others might tell it. And it became a part of his story and others' story the story of Jesus' transfiguration would be told year after year, every year, by Christians for 2,000 years. This story was told, is told, on a day like today. Transfiguration Sunday. So that we will never, what? Forget. That we'll never forget this revelation, this epiphany on the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany, that we will never forget this epiphany of who Jesus really is. He is God's Son. God chose Him. And so that means we should what? We should listen to Him. Amen? Amen. Amen.